episode of Double Shot Connection. Um, we're excited to be back after taking a week off. If you haven't followed us just yet, please jump on and follow us on social media, on Instagram at Double Shot Connect and on Spotify, just hit subscribe. So as I said, we've taken a week off. I've gone up to Broome to top up the tan and Varm's here has been swiping left and right on Tinder in Perth. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 13 uh, is what we're up to today and to some, the number 13 is considered very unlucky. However, for us, we believe probably one of our luckiest episodes, hopefully, that we've uh, produced yet. So I'll handball this one over to Nate to introduce our special guest for today. And everyone listening out there, I am so excited for this episode. The guest that we have on today, he's from South Australia. And unlike Marvin and I, who went undrafted in the AFL draft, we're hoping we might get a chance in the AFL when Tasmania comes online and we might get picked up. Our guest today, pick number 10 in, or pick number 17, sorry, in the 2009 AFL draft and played for Geelong Football Club from 2010 to 2018, wearing the number 10 jersey. He then went to Sydney Swans in 2019, wearing the number two jersey. And this year in 2020, uh, playing and coaching at Central Districts Football Club in the South Australian Football League, wearing the number two, also in the same team as brother Troy, we are so excited to announce our guest today, Daniel Menzel. Thank you, Daniel, for coming on the podcast today. How are you going? No, no worries at all. Thanks for having me, Nathan Marv. It's good to be on here. And um, yeah, I'm going pretty well. I'm um, just at home at the moment. We've got training tonight, but um, yeah, it's, it's as good as things can be at the moment. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. As Nate said, thanks for jumping on. So I guess... We'll get started with um, <laughs> just a quick little one. Uh, what, what do you think of people from Perth? So Nathan and I are obviously from Perth and the reason we ask that is uh, we've done a bit of travelling and what we find when we go travelling, people from overseas usually, they know Melbourne and Sydney and every, you know, very popular with everyone and whilst we were in Sri Lanka, we met a couple of boys from Brisbane and they were telling everyone um, <laughs> at the hostel that, there's no televisions and no reception in Perth just yet and that no one really knows any other city. So I'm guessing if you're from Adelaide, what are you, what's, um, yeah, your thoughts in Perth in general? Yeah, look, I, I um, feel for you a little bit there, boys, because <laughs> I obviously been from Adelaide, cop a little bit, um, living in Melbourne for 10 years or nine years and, and Sydney for a year. Um, those guys up there certainly didn't speak um, too highly of Adelaide and so... I can understand where you're coming from in terms of Perth. I think a lot of the Eastern Seaboard people um, think that they're pretty good and things are pretty good in their side of the country. But um, I think right now at the moment, we're seeing that uh, it's not the place to live on the Eastern side. So I think Adelaide and Perth are actually some good spots uh, to be in Australia right at the moment. That's it, Dan. I think we're definitely flying the flag for Australia at the moment. That's for sure. So, mate, one thing that we do when we have a guest on the podcast is that we always get started with this question. And the question that I have for you is what is your Double Shot Connect moment? And what I mean by that is what is an impactful or life-changing moment for yourself? Um, Yeah, I guess I've probably had a few that um, have impacted me and and, um, sent my journey in different directions and, um, I think, um, 
one of mine is, I mean, the obvious one's probably my comeback game in the AFL. And the reason being is not necessarily um, the actual comeback itself and the game, but I guess what come from that. And, and for me, um, I've got a sports consulting business that has basically come from that. Uh, I speak with a lot of people around injuries, around setbacks, around mental health as a result of that as well. And at the time I was coming back looking at playing some good footy and never ever thought that this is the pathway I might go down or it might lead me to. So that's probably something that did uh, impact my life in a, a way differently than what I thought at the time maybe it would. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, mate. And one thing that I forgot to mention at the start is that aside from Daniel's playing career for everyone listening out there he also has his own podcast Men's World of Sport and as you mentioned as well you have your own personal brand mental toughness uh, mental fortitude so talking about the playing side of things I'm very interested to know how did you feel that a day after losing your game and just to give you a bit of contact context of why I'm interested in asking this question is because I did my first amateur boxing fight last year and the morning I lost the fight by the way and so the morning after I woke up I just burst into tears because at that time I thought I let myself down I let my family down and let my mates down because they all came and watched so yeah that's where sort of the question stems from how did you feel sort of days after losing a game of AFL? Yeah, I think it's it's challenging. It's um, it depends on obviously the environment you're in, and um, I, I guess playing at Geelong and even going to Sydney for the year, I was fortunate. I was at some successful organisations, and so what it meant was that losing wasn't a common thing. And and I guess when you have that in mind, when you do have a loss, you're pretty confident that you can turn it around pretty quickly and that next week you can get that win back on the board. So you do take it hard, but I think you learn from the the senior people around you that, um, yeah, it's great to have those emotions and be flat for a day or so, but you you pretty quickly need to move on to, all right, what can I do about it now and and how can I change that? And I I think it's um, easier in the AFL because you play every week. So, you've got a week to change it and the next week can be completely different. Um, I think for you personally, in a, in a boxing format and style, your next fight might not be for a month, a couple of months or even further away, which makes it much more challenging. And I actually think this, and I've used this analogy a little bit, um, I find it difficult um, to think how Olympians would feel and how they would actually go through it, knowing that they could bugger up their their 400 metre race, whether it be in the pool or out on the track, and and have to wait four years for that moment again. And that's the one that I think is mentally incredibly challenging. And so it's um it's fortunate if I mean NBA is a great example. You play every single day, so you don't really spend much time thinking about it. But it's one of those ones that okay, you got to take the time to be flat, but then you pretty quickly need to move forward and go okay, well. It's not going to help me if I stay in this mindset. What can I do to move forward and, and look at the next opportunity? Oh, yeah, definitely agree with you there, mate, how, as you said, you use that opportunity to learn and grow. And I think another point that I really liked that you just said was having that team environment as well, other people around you sort of picking you up and giving you that advice as to how to best deal with it. It totally makes sense. So, mate, thanks for sharing that insight. Yeah, thanks. And he, um, even though he lost the fight, he got to keep his pretty face. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Dan, you know, we know playing sport is both physical and mentally draining and tough. Uh, in the documentary, uh, A Long Way Home, 
which was really, yeah, very inspirational watch. I had a bit of a cry in that documentary, beautiful, beautifully done. Um, you alluded to working really, you know, focusing on the physical side of things after the knee reconstructions one and two, and then after the knee reconstructions three and four, shifting more to the mental side of things. Do you, can you tell us a player that you played with or a teammate? Do you think that they were really, that had those physical attributes and maybe um, didn't live up to their true potential, whether that be yeah, from the mental side of things or anything like that? Yeah, I think there's a number of guys you see um, at AFL level, but probably more so at, at the lower levels, that, that next level down that you've played with, you know of, and you realise they could easily be an AFL player or a good AFL player, but they mentally don't have that capacity or they don't want um, to put the work in. And um, and that certainly does pay off. And, um, yeah, I think oh, I don't really want to name anyone individually who probably should have had a better career than what they did. Um I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm in that mould. I think as well. Mine's probably more so injury based. But yeah, it, there's definitely guys that you look at and you go. Um, actually, I've got one name for you, and I can easily name him because, and you'll understand why. Gary Ablett is one that I'll name, and the reason being is um, in his first four or five years of his career, he played at Geelong, played some awesome footy, but did rely on his talent a lot and um, and and so it wasn't the best trainer and um, and because he was so naturally gifted it sort of just came to him and and the playing group actually before I got there sat him down and spoke to him about it and um, it might have even been in the leading teams um, setup and um, back then that's when those sort of setups actually worked but they said to him mate you're, you're a gun like you're one of our better players no doubt but if you trained harder and you actually got the mental side right, you could be one of the best players or the best player in the comp. And within a year or two, he'd won a Brownlow, I think. So there is plenty of examples of it. And that's a, that's a good one that um, didn't do it well and then and then managed to change that. So, um, yeah, it certainly is. Most guys don't understand um, what they can do with uh, the mental aspect of the game and, and how much more they can actually put in. And that's something that, unfortunately, it doesn't come to most people at the age of 18. It takes years and years. And, I mean, I'm, I'm the same as well. I'm 28 now. And there's no way I was as well equipped five years ago as what I am now. So it does come with maturity as well. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. And it's, I guess, uh, Nathan and I are both 27 this year. And I think in the last few years as well, we've, well, I can speak for myself, grown a lot mentally. And, yeah, no, thanks for that. And maybe on the other side as well, is there a player that you – played with again or um uh, another yeah that was maybe not so physically gifted but had some really you know had that mental toughness and mental fortitude yeah there's definitely um definitely those guys i mean i'm trying to think um at sydney um at sydney one who stands out ripping guy i played with him last year george hewitt um who's only been around for five six years um Georgie, I mean, Georgie doesn't pump himself up at the best of time. He's as modest as it comes. But he'll sit around having a coffee with Georgie and he'll be like, mate, I can't kick. I'm, my skills are terrible. I'm no good. All this sort of stuff. And um, and you're like, mate, you, yes, you can. But at the same time, he's well aware that he's nowhere near the most talented player in, in that side um, and in the comp. And, and last year he was getting it done better than pretty much any other midfielder up there and he come second or third in the best and fairest. And um, I think that's a good example of someone who just goes, all right, here's my limitations maybe physically, but 
you know what, I know what I can do mentally. I know how I can nullify an opposition player. I can tag them out the game. If I'm, if I'm strong on what I can bring to the game uh, and play my role, then um, then I'll, I'll be able to help the team and, and get the best out of myself. So he's a really obvious one to mine um, that stands out. Uh, trying to think Geelong-wise, um, who did that pretty well. Um, Cameron Lang's probably an obvious one as well. He... Um, he obviously captain when I first got there, and um, and nowhere near as talented as, as many other guys. But mm-hmm. his gut running and running ability, and backing himself in, and then his leadership. He realised that if he could lead better than everyone else, he might not necessarily have to perform as well as everyone else. And so um, he's another really good example who mentally got got the most out of himself. Yeah, th- thanks for that. So, uh, I <laughs> Nathan and I kind of tried to have a guess at who would think you'd say and he said lingy so i own okay. my coffee after <laughs> you you've just won me a cinnamon scroll from yours truly so thanks for that that is a great result yeah <laughs> mate also going back to the documentary a long way home something that really resonated with marvin and i was um you know it really looks like you have a a great relationship with your mother and something that Marvin and I would like to think is that we're very close with our mums as well. And an example, and this leads into my next question is, um, so Marvin mentioned him and I went to Sri Lanka last year and towards the end of the holiday, we actually got matching tattoos. And so my mum was there to pick me up at the airport at the end. She's like, oh, you know, give us a look at your tattoo. She takes one look at it and she's like, oh, is that it? You could have done better (laughs) than that. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my question is has there been a time where your mum has been as savage as that or has just been brutally honest with you um oh there's certainly been times where she'd be um very honest i haven't got any tattoos so i haven't received that feedback yet um <laughs> but um no i think that the the honest and the brutally honest part's important and um and so an example actually that comes to mind that always stuck with me when I was going through a long time of my rehab is um, obviously you get injured. And, and I remember thinking when I did my third and fourth ACLs, I don't want to tell mum and everyone else and I've let them down. I don't want them to get flat and be worried about me being sore or injured or hurt. And I remember mum said to me um, through my last couple of rehabs, she said, um, I want you to keep going. I know that you overcome this. Um, and that's probably not what every mother would say. I think a lot would um, fairly go, look, I don't want you to get injured anymore. Um, the physical, mental pain, what it's doing to you. But I think she knew how much it meant to me. And so um, being an independent and driven person herself, she understood that and um, understood what that meant to keep going. And, and so just giving me that support then made it much easier for me because I've got my mates saying the same thing. And so rather than me going, should I be doing this and putting everyone else through this because they're struggling and they're saying to me, look, this is taking a massive toll on everyone. They're not saying that. They're actually backing me and supporting me. And that was massive for me. And um, for mum to say that, um, she obviously one, knew me, but two, um, that's the drive and, and the independence that she had that she's instilled in me and was something that, yeah, absolutely, our relationship was really important and that, and that sort of stuff has really helped me. Hi, guys. If you're enjoying the episode, check us out on Instagram at Double Shot Connect and you can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
And please feel free to check out our earlier episodes if you haven't had the chance to. Yeah, no, we could, yeah, definitely could see that in the, in the documentary and, you know, mums are always there to be brutally honest, aren't they? So um, <laughs> mums are very important, just like mental health. And that's something you speak openly and freely about. Uh, obviously this week in the media, it was well documented that, that a player passed away and he struggled very uh, with mental health illnesses. Um, I guess the question I have there, Dan, is how do you feel mental health is addressed within the AFL and what supports are available for players who are struggling with mental health? Yeah, I think that uh, nowadays mental health is supported um, so much better than what it used to be, particularly even 10 years ago. Um, It's just the uh, education that players and clubs and staff are getting and how to deal with different situations. So it is handled really well. Um, however, the thing that makes it difficult is there's now more media, social media and everything else, um, than there ever was. And so what that means is that, um, although clubs handle it well, players, um, can get caught up in things and can really battle with different things. And, uh, and then in, in turn as well, they, they then hide it as well. So it's one that there's still a lot more education around it and there still needs to be, um, a lot more talk around it, but unfortunately, it's a little bit the same with being injured. Um, you're not going to be able to fix it 100%. And that's, that's unfortunately the reality of it. It is try and educate everyone as much as you can. So I definitely think it's gotten um, a hell of a lot better and, um, and still will continue to, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just reinforcing that education and, and everyone's different too. I think that's what um, is important to keep uh, reminding people is that, just because one thing works for one player, it doesn't mean it's going to work for another. And, and that, um, that's something that, again, is an education thing. And, and so clubs have psychologists um, on, on hand now that players can go and see. But one psychologist might be perfect for one player and, and another player might not connect with them at all. So it is um, really important. And that's where it comes back to the actual club and the welfare manager. And you've got to have a good welfare manager who understands different individuals and can communicate with different sets of people and groups of people. And, and that's where it's key that clubs get that right in terms of who they put their trust in and and who they, um, they put basically in these, in these roles. Yeah, definitely. Is, is you alluded to that welfare manager and the psychologist is, are there, is there a support available for players who've retired or who've, um, you know, been injured and move on like uh, like post career is that still available from clubs or is that not so available uh it is available however it's probably not as well known it's available as it should be and and the other one that's really difficult is um when you're not in the system you just don't have the same um communication with people who might be able to set you up with those things so you probably need to source it a little bit more yourself than um than a person who's in the system, which it makes total sense. I mean, clubs can't and AFL can't afford to have resources going everywhere. Um, but that in itself is a challenge because guys who struggle, and you touched on um, what happened this week, they're probably not going to be the ones who are going to reach out and go to the AFL and other people and go, I need some help. Um, so that is where it's really challenging. And um, it, it is, it's important that it's relayed that that, that, um, education and that resources are actually there and available, but it's one that that's where you need 
um, family and close network around. It's important that they don't shy away from this sort of stuff, regardless of what's going on. And, and, and you are asking questions and things like that. And I think that that has gotten a lot better. I mean, 10 years ago, again, people wouldn't talk about this sort of stuff and would, would not even bring it up. So I think it's the awareness of everyone in the public that, okay, if you do notice or you do feel like someone's struggling, just ask the question, just get it out there. Even as awkward as it's going to be, um, get that chat happening so that you can at least do something about it before it could be too late for some people. Yeah, mate, very interesting. And something that you, how you said, it, it's improved over the 10 years. If there was something or a change or something that, is there something that you would like to see implemented or how would you think personally things could improve for the next five or 10 years? Um, it, it is a challenging one because, again, I talk about resources and, and particularly the cutbacks at the moment with what's happened with COVID yeah. does, make it, does make it harder. Um, I guess um, it, it's a tough one to – I mean, if, if, if I had the answer or others had the answer, we'd be able to fix a lot of this. But it, it is really difficult. Um, I think that what's important is that when you're away from your AFL club where you've got some really good resources – your current workplaces and things like that, they need to value this and, and have um, that front of mind as well. And so whether it's offering different um, different people, different experts, um, some part in a lot of organisations needs to be, um, this needs to be front of mind. And I think that's where you can cover a lot of it because it isn't an AFL problem, it's a society problem. And so that's where... Um, the AFL, I guarantee you, will do a lot better than most other workplaces in um, in the general society in Australia. So it's maybe a government thing where a government puts in some programs or some initiatives where the more people who um, uh, get involved in a program or something else, then they get a kickback to their company in terms of monetary reward. So that's where I feel like it's got to be taken because um, it definitely is much more. It's just the AFL stuff's heightened, unfortunately. That spoke about more so, but there's a lot of these issues just every day that um, you don't hear about. And if ScoMo is listening to this, I think Daniel Menzel's got a solution here. So hopefully we can roll that out. That'll be lovely. So, mate, in the documentary as well, there's a scene where you look down at your wristband and it ha- has mental toughness, mental fortitude written on it and it gave you motivation to keep going we were interested to know what are some other techniques that you have that you use for motivation and do you have a self-care routine because Marvin and I are willing to put our hand up on this podcast and happily admit that we love a good face mask from time to time (laughs) um I'll start with the self-care um I don't probably have a self-care routine, but there are certain things that um, I do that I realise I've got to give myself time to to um, switch off, I guess, is one thing for mine. Um, and so um, I actually – listening to podcasts is something I actually have done a lot of recently that I find takes me out of my own 
my own life, my own thoughts. Um, I don't, that sort of, I find it really, um, not meditating, but almost in a way it does. It just takes me away from everyday life and I get to hear about other people's stories and situations and, um, and not be caught up in, all right, what am I doing tonight at training? What am I coaching? What else am I doing with everything else? So that, that's something that relieves a bit of stress for me, I guess. Um, and that is so important because you can get, um, caught up in things, uh, way too easily. And, um, people get caught up in social media and everything else nowadays too. So that I find really helps. And in terms of motivation wise, um, I think it's really important to set yourself um, goals. And for me, it's it's small week-to-week goals and achievable goals and be able to actually I, – I document them. I write a lot of those down. And so I'm able to actually assess them on a weekly basis and go, am I happy with this? Is this on track? And if it's not, I just move it back a week. Um, but if it is, then at least it feels like I've got some sense of achievement and, and I've, I've got some positivity out of that week um, rather than sort of just going through and going through the motions and losing that accountability. Um, but I just think a lot of my motivation is intrinsic anyway and I um, have certain things that I want to achieve and and um, and so every now and then you do need that little kick up, the, for lack of a better word, kick up their ass, but you, you sort of just need to keep yourself on track. So the wristband's a massive one for me because it just brings me back to what I've been through and how much I actually have achieved. And I think that's, I actually do struggle with that. I And I think everyone does. You look at what you don't have and what you haven't got to yet um, and you don't reflect upon enough what you actually have um, overcome. And so that's something that, um, that's a really good settler for mine when I when I do, I wear my wristband every every day. And so it's just that reminder that, okay, um, although you not haven't achieved everything you want to, things have still been pretty good and you've still done a lot. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, thanks for that. It's really, really good advice for anyone listening. And I think Nate, Nate said to me once and it stuck with me, celebrate the victories and learn from the losses. So <laughs> along the lines. That's a great point. Yeah, that's really, really good. And I, formerly working in mental health, I completely agree with what you were saying before about more programs and more funding needed. I think that's just in general and yeah, not necessarily just within AFL, I guess from the outside, you see that they looks like they do a lot of work, whereas yeah, a lot more organizations and it's just a societal kind of, you know, raising awareness around that. Um, going back to the documentary, sorry, we keep going back to the documentary. It's just an amazing, um, program to watch uh but i noticed you mentioned in the documentary the burden about speaking up when you were mentally struggling so uh, you think you said in the documentary when people were, were asking you questions like how are you going how's your knee feeling um do you feel it did it ever get to a stage where it just all got too much for you um it probably didn't get to a stage where it all got too much but it there were stages where I was really struggling and I think I touched on it once in the documentary and say, I don't have anything to look forward to. And they're probably the hardest times when you, you get into that sort of depressed spiral and it's really hard to get out of. And, um, and so, um, yeah, they are the, the real struggles that you sort of unfortunately go through and, yeah, that's where you need the people around you uh, to reinforce things and to, to give you that support and that network is so crucial because uh, I remember um, I used to, particularly in my first and second rehab, um, if I had a bad day, then if I, sorry, if I had a bad hour or about a couple of hours in rehab at the club, 
then I would instantly have a bad day. The rest of the day was written off um, and then it would sometimes spiral into the week. And so I'd train to go quite poorly, which is going to happen in a nine-month rehab. You're not going to have good days every day. And um, I'd have a poor day. I'd go home, I'd sit on the couch, I'd watch TV and I wouldn't leave the couch for the rest of the day. And so basically I'd write off the day and I'd be flat and negative all day and that's what would happen. And um I pretty well I didn't quickly learn but I did over time unfortunately learn that all right if I've had a bad day if I've had a bad day in rehab I can't let that ruin the rest of my day and so I've got to force myself to actually do something different or, or change it um and so I'd have a bad day in rehab and go okay look not happy with how that works so what I've got to do is I've got to turn to other outlets that I've got so that I can focus on them and forget about the the bad session I had this morning and and move on from it so that was really helpful for me because then I would go um, and go, all right, what do I enjoy doing? So if it would be, all right, maybe I'll go play golf if I could or if I'd go to the beach or um, I coach for a few years. So I'd go home and I'd work out my, my game plan for the weekend and pick the team for the week. And so what would then happen is a couple of hours later, um, I would have basically forgotten or erased the, the bad negative um, of the rehab from my from my mind and um, then you'd be more inclined to go oh, I'll go out for dinner with a few teammates or a few mates tonight or I'll go and do something else and you come into training the next day and go all right let's let's do it ready to go whereas when you um, don't have these other outlets and other things to turn to it's spiral into a bad day and you walk in the next day in a, in a horrible mood down flat and and it would in turn impact your rehab and it would it does impact your recovery time as well how your body heals and and everything like that so that was a massive learning curve for mine and and again it's so important that you find those outlets that you you can turn to and enjoy and um i'll pass on that everyone's different like it might it might not be any of those things it might be reading a book if you enjoy do that it might be fishing it might be doing a podcast it might be listening to a podcast it's it's things that different people find enjoyable and and it can't be something that you don't enjoy because i had i had study that i did but i didn't enjoy studying so if i had a bad day in rehab there's no way i would be able to sit at home in, in front of the books and start reading up books because my mind would just not be in it so it's got to be something that is stimulating that you do enjoy doing and um and that was something that yeah made a massive difference for mine and that's a it's a really important point i think mental health wise that um people probably don't realize enough and it's probably not educated enough that um all right find things that you really enjoy doing and and when things aren't going well that's when you have to turn to them the most yeah really great insights there and talking about things that you enjoy doing as we touched on before you yourself have started podcasting men's world of sport and on episode five when you had our current Geelong player Mark Bixarves towards the end of his segment you asked him the question uh what tv shows uh, does he see himself on so mate we were interested to ask you the question what what tv shows do you see yourself on yeah, um, I have obviously thought about this before because I, I did, as I alluded to in that, I did write an article about it a few years ago and um, I watch, uh, unashamedly, I watch a lot of reality TV. Um, and so <laughs> I thought you might say that as well. Um, so, I I mean, Survivor is one of my favourites. I'd love to go on Survivor. It'd be a great, great experience, I think. Um I mean, Big Brother went Survivor way this year a little bit with all their challenges and people voting each other off. Um, 
the boys at the club used to joke about it and have a laugh about it because when I was at Geelong, I was single. So it was either married at first sight or, or Love Island was the um, <laughs> one that came up a fair bit. Um, but um, the only thing with those two shows, I think, is it depends how the producers see you because you'll get portrayed in a, in, in a way that you can't control or handle, whereas at least with Survivor and Big Brother to an extent, um, you can sort of be yourself and that's how it will come across. So I'd probably go for one of those shows that maybe I've got a little bit more control over. Um, so that'd probably be, yeah, Survivor would probably be my number one if I was to pick. Oh yeah, that's 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 an absolute ripper of a show. Where we've just applied for the amazing race. If you were to, I was going to say, what would you two pick? So, amazing <laughs> race is a good one. Who would you, who would you go on the amazing race with? A former teammate or a player that you? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, former teammates. If I was to go former teammates, uh, I mean, Mark Blitzards would be a good one because he's well travelled. Um, He's pretty good when it comes to geography knowledge and that sort of stuff. Another one who's well-traveled and, and very good with their geography is Dane Rampey, um, who would be a laugh. He's, a, he's, he's an alternate bloke, ripping guy. So it'd be, um, it'd be a great experience as well. Um, so they're probably, from the two clubs I played at, two that stand out to me. Actually, sorry, I've got one more. Um, he's actually, no, he's not a Perth boy, but he lived in Perth, played in the Waffle for a bit. Um, Callum Sinclair. Oh, um, Sinclair, yeah. He is one of the funnier blokes I've ever come across and um, just does some weird stuff and some <laughs> funny stuff. So no doubt it would mean that regardless of whether we lost the first week and got knocked out or we made it all the way, it'd be an incredible and an enjoyable experience with him. Oh, mate, it sounds like you'd make a great contestant. So, mate, if it ever happens, I'll be, I'll be tuning in, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> and, mate, going back to your younger days, I guess, you know, w- when you were coming through the system in South Australia and before you got drafted, I mean, you, I guess I, as a teenager, you, w- you would have known you had something in you. But, and I guess when you're younger, you don't realise things until, you get, until later on in life. But was there a point when you knew that, you know, I've got something and I'm going to make it? Um, I think I played ever since I was the age of six and, um, yeah, it was a pretty good junior and then you come through the ranks and everyone develops at different ages. So you sort of hope, but you, you don't really know until you're 17, 18, I think, in, in most cases. And for me, it wasn't until I played for South Australia in the state competition um, against the rest of the teams around the, around the country and and had a pretty good comp and then had a lot of teams talk to me after that. And that's sort of when the realisation kicked in that I'm, all right, I'm a pretty good chance now that I will get drafted. I've had more than 10 teams speak with me. And, um, yeah, that that's a pretty well-win year because in most cases it's your year 12 study year and uh, you're playing state footy, you're playing school footy and you're playing for your local club as well. So and you're trying to study in year 12. So there's so much happening. Um, but, yeah, it's a, a major enjoyable year, and, and that's sort of when it sort of kicked in for me mid, mid-year that year for mine. Yeah. Was, did you know Geelong were going to pick you? Like, did they say they, like, they were going to choose you or were there a few other teams that you might have thought you were going to head to? 
Uh, I probably would have had a few other teams ahead of them that I thought I might go to. I, I think that Geelong has been notoriously known for keeping their cards close to their chest and um, and they certainly did with me and, and other guys that got drafted after me as well. They show some interest, but they don't really tell you too much. And then, yeah, then they take you and they say, no, no, we were always keen. So, um, yeah, I sort of didn't have an inkling I was going there. But then when I got drafted there, they just won the premiership with some incredible players, um, you sort of think, wow, this is, I mean, I couldn't go to a more successful club, obviously. Yeah, man. And just going back to a bit earlier, you talked about studying. Is that something that you're doing or you've completed or what, what studies did you pursue during your career and now? Yeah, I've done a few. I've uh, initially started a commerce course, but I didn't want to do the whole four year degree while I was playing. It just would have taken me 10 years plus. So, I since have done a diploma and an advanced diploma of management, uh, PT course. I've done three coaching courses and uh, a psychology course. And I'm doing a bookkeeping one at the moment. So my sort of plans are to um, be across a lot of different areas. So that um, with footy at the moment, I'm obviously coaching out at an SNFL club, which is um, obviously not a bad one for credentials going forward. Um, but I've done a lot of work in the media uh, and then radio and other things as well. So I think I will be in footy, but I'm not sure in what what uh, area I'll be in. So whether it's coaching, whether it's um, whether it's more off-field general manager type stuff or whether it's media, um, I'm sort of like if I can just keep, um, I guess, evolving, then hopefully there'll be opportunities there. No, that's great. And the, the fact that, you know, you're doing a lot for yourself, it does sound like, you know, the more you, and I'm sure you agree with this approach that, you know, the more that you do do, the more that you do put yourself out there and the more hard work that you put in, the opportunities do come their way. So, mate, that's that's really awesome to hear. And some another thing as well that we're really interested to know, and this will be based on your personal thoughts, is is there ever such a thing as over-preparation? Um, oh, I mean, I don't think so. I think that um, the only time that that maybe comes to hand, I, I, and I relate this to playing a, a game, is um, over-preparation might mean over-stressing because you are doing so much. I, I do a lot of prep before a game and um, sometimes I'm about to run out and I'm like, okay, have I... Did I do enough leg extensions? Have I done enough arabesque? Did I do enough um, glute holes? These sort of things. And so that's when the stress and anxiety builds up, I guess, because you're talking about doing so. That's where I've just got to remind myself to relax um, and go, okay, you know that you have put the work in and done and, and you you know you have prepared to the right level. So um, in terms of that, maybe that's the only area where it comes in. But in terms of when it comes to coaching, when it comes to anything else in life, no, I don't believe there is because it's, it's much better, obviously, to be more prepared than not. And um, the other thing too is I think you – takes a long time a little bit with maturity as well to learn how much preparation and how much professionalism you actually can have and so a lot of people think that they are professional and they prepare the right amounts but then they might see someone else coming to the organization and go shit they do three times the amount i do maybe i don't prepare as well as i think so there's that naivety there which um exists and I mean, I've seen it this year at Central Districts in the team. I mean, I've obviously come from an AFL environment where I've had great people to learn off. I've had the best resources and, and I've been forced to 
do the best preparation work before I play because of my injuries. And so I've come from a full-time environment to a part-time environment where guys do a couple of things before they run out and then they're, they're ready to go and they think they're preparing as well as anyone in the league. And, and so I'm sort of telling them, well, no, you're not. This is, that's, that's, that's because you haven't experienced that professionalism. So it's one that, yeah, I definitely think that, um, most people don't prepare enough. So I would say, no, that there is, you can't over prepare. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. And I think you'd be pretty good at giving um, some advice out in that area. You've got like, you've got a lot of knowledge. It sounds like you've done a lot of study. Is there, you, if you go back 10, 11 years to when you were 18 or when you first got drafted, if, if you could give yourself one piece of advice, just one, <laughs> what do you think that advice would be to yourself? Um, oh, I mean, I'd love to have the knowledge I've got now when I was 18, which I think everyone would. Um, the bit of advice, um, look, it's probably, it's probably twofold because this bit of advice that I'd probably give myself, it's also helped me, um, the way that I am, but I think I would tell myself that AFL and footy isn't everything. Um, and so I think I learned that as the years went on, but um, every injury I did, every game for my first two, three years, four years when I was injured even, that's the only thing that really mattered to me in life at all. Um, and so I would just tell myself that, yeah, AFL, it means so much to you. It's so important and it's, so, so, it's such a massive part of your life. But at the same time, if you do lose or if you do get injured, um, it is not the end of the world. And my mindset back then was the end of the world. And I remember my welfare manager actually spoke to me and um, he said to me, and this is after my second ACL, he said, so what's the plan for this year? And I said, well, the plan is to get back and play in the premiership this year. That's, I missed out two years ago. Like, that's my only goal. And he said, what happens if, what happens if we don't win enough games and we, we don't even play finals? You don't even get a chance at it. I said, oh, I can't think like that. And he said, what happens if you're injured again? I said, no, well, I'm not thinking like that. And he said, all right, well, it sounds like the only problem with that is you've got all your eggs in one basket. So you, you've set yourself up to fail unless everything goes right, which was true. Um, so the chances of everything going right and us winning a flag, which was largely not in my hands anyway, were very small. And so that's where... Um, I, I did fail a lot of times with injury and, and not getting there. And, and all of a sudden your world closes in on you and it feels like that. And it's a real battle. So oh, that's the advice I'd give myself is that, um, yeah, it is important and you love it, but there's so much else as well that, um, that you need to worry about and need to put time into. And I have no doubt a lot of people would say, um, I told you that years ago, but <laughs> you didn't necessarily take it on board, which, which is true. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. And, I know you talk about in the AFL context, but a lot of people at that age, you know, they put all their eggs in one basket, whether it be going to university, um, you know, getting an ATAR that allows them to get into university or going down a certain career path. And upon reflection, like for myself, I've done numerous different studying courses and different jobs. And yeah, I think put a lot of pressure on myself. So I think that's really good advice not to put all your eggs in one basket and continue to learn as you get older and grow. So thanks for that, Dan. And no worries at all. One question that just popped into my head, mate. So when you play in a team, there's obviously, you know, a squad of 40 blokes and, you know, everyone has a different personality and each individual is different. I guess, do you, do you get along with all 
blokes in the squad, like do they all become your best mates or is it more you get along with certain people than others and you're still good with everyone sort of thing? Yeah, you obviously have different guys that you maybe click with or spend more time with. Um, it's impossible to get along and be best mates with everyone, obviously. You just don't – one, don't have the time, but you wouldn't have the energy. Like it, it, it'd be fabricated because you think about the, your best mates and the conversations you have with them and I actually i am noticing this in coaching at the moment. Um, we've got 60 players out at Central as a team that I'm playing and coaching in and um, more than 20 of them are forwards. And so – um, I've got guys that I'm closer mates to out there than others, but also in terms of coaching, I realise that I can't speak to all of my 20 forwards every single week about their game and, and show them clips of their game and go, this is what you did well, this is what you didn't, because that would take up hours worth of work, let alone the training I've got to do and everything else. So um, I think that sort of in turn tells you a little bit that yeah, you still do get along with everyone. Like it's it's because you all have the same goal and and you're similar people. Um, you definitely there, there's that common ground that that means that you all relate to each other. But you're obviously going to have better mates in the team and, and have more time for others and not. And I think everyone understands that. No one goes in going, "Why aren't you my best mate? Why aren't you?" Everyone understands that they're going to have different guys that they just spend more time with. And that's there's no point fighting that or um or trying to fight that at all. And um, that's something that, yeah, and again, it's just a reality type thing. And, and it's the same with local footy. Like you go out local footy and you, you play with mates and there's mates you talk to more than others. And you know what? You could be best mates with five guys you'd never speak to on the track because you're actually really common with them. But it's just the time and, and obviously the energy that goes into everything you've got to do. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that you just, that just struck out to me that you just said there is always being on the other side as a coach. And for me personally, I'm – a mentor now at the university that I graduated from helping young graduates in their final year of uni. So there's stuff that I notice being on the other side of the desk, have you say, sort of observing them and how they go about things. Now that you're in the coaching sphere, what are one or two things that you've noticed as a coach maybe that you didn't notice as a player because you were just sort of focused on being the best that you could be at that time? Yeah, it's just it's a different dynamic, and and again, it's that time as well. I mean, for me, it's a bit more challenging because I mean, I'm injured at the moment, but I'm, I'm trying to play this year and coach, and um, and so I already probably spend more time than anyone on my body out at um, Centrals anyway in terms of preparation and and everything else. So you then have to find extra time um, to be a coach as well, and and so I guess the thing that I've learned with that is and particularly now with a lot of mates in the team you have conversations um that mates would have and everything like that but then you also need to have conversations about footy and you also need to teach them about the game and everything else so again that takes a lot of time and so the thing that i sometimes battle with is um you get only get a certain amount of time for different meetings and and before training starts and so you, you're trying to fit everything in and you you you're a bit stressed trying to balance everything. And so you maybe don't have those locker room chats where it's more jovial and just relaxed that you'd love to. And so that's something that as a player, you probably don't realize it's just more relaxed. You don't have to think about much. You literally sit there and talk about what some bloke did at work during the day, or you talk about the reality TV shows you watched the night before. Whereas as a coach, you try and partake in those conversations, but you also, you got two things on your mind. You're doing that and then you're going, okay, I've got to, 
This guy just walked in. I've got to show him a couple of clips in a second. Oh, I've also got to go through this ball movement stuff. And then you're also trying to partake in this conversation. So there's a lot to it to juggle. And, and that's where you, your best coaches can, can obviously do all of that. Yeah, mate, really great. And you talk about time. So firstly, just want to say, personally, thank you so much for your time. It means a lot that you've come on and shared your insights and opening up and talking and speaking openly and honestly with us on this podcast. So much appreciated, mate. So firstly, where can we find you on your socials? Yeah, sure. So um, on Instagram, it's just at Daniel Menzel and my business sports consulting business is at mtmf so mental toughness mental fortitude for um yeah for anyone who who's gone through any setback or any injury i've got acl plans on there and apparel as well and then uh the podcast is men's world of sport as well which is on apple podcast and spotify which um yeah it's cool it's we break down sports from around the world and have a guest on every week and we have a top 10 every week which i love i love debating with mates and things like that about sporting moments and bringing back some great memories and so yeah they're the three main things at the moment that you can find me on yeah thank thank you very much so yeah go check out all those things for everyone listening and just before we go i mentioned at the start my co-host here is been busy swiping away on tinder he's not having much luck in perth and i know there's a function i've got a i've got a girlfriend and i do you have a partner as well is that correct yes i do have a partner um so only recently only i guess we've known each other for the past nine months to a year now so um so yeah so now i'm well aware of um Although we've been in locker rooms for the past 10 years, you, you do have a bit of fun with boys and which guys are on Tinder and, and whatever else, Bumble and whatever else there is out there. So um, I can't imagine that it's probably the worst time to be single at the moment, I would have thought, and particularly well, in Victoria particularly because <laughs> yeah. you might be swiping on Tinder but you won't be catching up with anyone or going on any dates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just going to ask you, you must have uh, um, teammates or even yourself. What, what, what Do you reckon he should change his location over to Adelaide? Do you think he'll have a bit more luck there? He's not getting much luck in Perth. So. Well, um, I did have a couple of team, teammates that unashamedly, they mentioned to a couple of people and when the rest of the team found out, they, they vehemently denied it saying that about how they had bought Tinder Pro and were able to put themselves in other <laughs> locations <laughs> in the world. And um, and so that was um, – that's certainly a bit of fun. And, um, yeah, it is. It's an incredible world that we live in the way that things work nowadays. And um, the other one is, too, the amount of coaches that we have who are 35, 40-plus, and they used to be like, oh, I used to go out and meet girls at bars and talk to them. Nowadays, you don't, you don't even talk to a girl. You literally talk online. You don't meet them. You don't do any hard work. And I'm like – Mate, I don't, back in the day, it was so much different. So I don't think you should be comparing it nowadays. But, um, yeah, it is. It's, it's such a different life now. But, um, yeah, maybe, look, maybe maybe you get on the Tinder Pro. You might have, I reckon if you haven't had any success at the moment, you can say it's because of COVID. That's the absolute yeah. pop out. You should be running with it. I think, it, I think long before COVID. But thanks for the tips there, Dan. Cheers. Yeah, mate. As you know, I mean, you've got your own personal brand as well. It's all about marketing and I always jokely, jokingly market myself as the more tanned version of Chris Hemsworth. So I don't know if you can see it, mate. I might have to let my hair out or something, but there you go. <laughs> oh, I can see. I'll keep running with that if I do. <laughs> 
that's it. The more times you say it, people will eventually believe it. So exactly right. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, mate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So there you have it, guys. Exciting guest, Daniel Menzel, episode 13. Check it out and we'll be back for episode 14. So thank you very much for listening.